My name is Daryl Crawford. I'm the pastor of Congregational Care here at Peace Church, and I'm, I get to open the word with you today. So if you would open your Bibles, please, to Hosea. We are still in the book of Hosea, and we're going to be looking at verses 5, 15 through 6, 6 specifically, but we also, like Brian, when he, when he divvied this up, he, I got 4 through 10 and he gave me these, these verses too. So we'll be looking a little bit at um, some of the verses in 4 through 10 as well this morning. When I was growing up, one of the highlights of the year is when we got to go to Big Star Lake. We rented a cottage there every year. It wasn't anything fancy. It didn't have hot water. Um, it, it, you know, it didn't have a bathtub. We bathed in the lake, but we had a good time. We'd go up for two weeks every summer. For the first 12 years of my life, we would go there. I don't even know if those, someone probably bought those and put up a big building now, but back then, that was the great, great place for us. And I remember when I was probably, I don't know, four or five, so this would have been, I'll put it in context, we were it was like 1977, 1978, so kids, that was a long time ago. Um, my dad and my family decided to play a joke on me. And what they did is they told me that if I planted an acorn, an oak tree would grow, which is true, right? So I went out there and planted an acorn, watered it. Next day, my dad says, you should go look at where you planted that acorn. Boom, little tree that big. I was like, yeah, I was excited. Look, at this is working. This is happening. Next day, you know, I water it, you know, go out there. Next day, go out there. It's a little bit bigger. You know, it, totally ignorant of how long it takes a tree to grow. Then the third day, I go out there and I look, and it's a big tree, about that big. And I was proud. I remember running back to the house and saying, you guys got to check out my tree. And this is what it was. I came here, and, and what was interesting, you know, I, I was pretty ignorant of, of a lot of things because, you know, I didn't know how long it grew, but this is also, if you look, you probably can't see it too well, this is a sassafras tree. It's, it's not even an oak tree. So this was a funny prank that my father, father pulled, pulled on me. I didn't even really remember it. I saw this picture probably when, you know, I was like 11, 12 years old, and I was like, ah, they got me on that one. So, but I thought I grew that tree, and I'm very proud of this tree. You can see young man sitting there like, I am, I grew this tree, this is my tree, and I stand right here. But you know what? If we are ignorant of truth, can't we be figuratively standing next to a tree, thinking we're doing great things, yet totally be in the dark to what is really going on? See, we will see that Israel like this as well. This is a... There's a lot of hard things in this passage, but God's grace and faithfulness is through it all as well. See, Israel, they were listening to the voices of the surrounding nations and, and not listening to God. They were being unfaithful to God, which Hosea gave us a picture of where God told Hosea to marry a prostitute, Gomer, and then Gomer is unfaithful again, and he says, no, take her back. They're listening to these nations, and they thought that they produced a great nation, but they were standing there next to a tree that the fruit is lies. In 10.13, God says this through Hosea, you have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way. And when we trust in our own ways and not in the ways of God, this can easily happen to any of us. 
None of us are above this. In this book of Hosea, where we're looking this morning, there's a switch. There was the picture given of Hosea and Gomer in the, in the first three chapters. Now, Hosea's going to lay it on the line. He said, I gave you a picture of this. Now God's going to speak through me, and he has many hard words to say to Israel. So that is what's going on here. But uh, let's read these verses. Hosea 5.15 through chapter 6, verse 6. Follow along with me. It says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. It's going out. It's as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I've hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. As we sung, you are a faithful, good God. Lord, be with us as we look at your word. Speak to our hearts and minds that we would grow in you to love you more and know you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our main thought of the day is this. Our joy and satisfaction is found in loving and knowing God. Our joy and satisfaction is found in knowing and loving and knowing God. So we see right here in this first verse, in chapter 5, verse 5, We see the grace of God in the midst of great unfaithfulness. God is saying, I will return again to my place. God is removing his hand of blessing. He's removing his hand of protection over Israel. And God is going to come to them in judgment. We see that in 514 through the Assyrians. But here is why. Here's why we see this explained to us. We saw the picture of it, but now in some detail, here's what's going on. In Hosea 4.1, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O his children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Even the priests are corrupt and have no knowledge of God. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being being a priest to me and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. They were given to idolatry. In 4, 12 and 13, it says, my people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on tops of mountains, burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar and terebinth because their shade is good. They transgress the covenant with God. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant 
and rebelled against my law. They totally forget about God, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities, so I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. They also have no fear of God. 10.3 says, for they will now will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord, and a king, what could he do for us? So God is coming and saying there's going to be judgment. Things are, are not going to go well for you. But this should not surprise Israel in the least if they were to remember what God told them in the book of Deuteronomy that would have been read to them. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15 says this, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God warns them, you're gonna have great prosperity. Be careful, because you know what? You will forget. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in the midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Great warnings there in Deuteronomy 6. Also in, in Deuteronomy 28, there is um, blessings, there's also cursings. And, and God tells Israel this, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And he goes from a, a whole list then in verse 45, we won't go through all of those. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey, obey the voice of your Lord to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. So we can see here that Israel has done all this. This is the place where they are at. And God is removing his his hand saying, I'm returning to my place. And Israel in every way deserves, because they have transgressed the covenant, deserves to be wiped off the map for good. But God. Some of the greatest words in the Bible are, but God, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. We see here, we don't have that, but it says until, right? I will return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt until they seek the face of God and in their distress, earnestly seek God. It is interesting, isn't it, that in difficult times is when we, we do this, isn't it? I mean, how many, I bet you if we opened, had an open mic here and people started coming up and sharing how God has worked in their lives, we would hear, one consist, we'd hear some consistent things. Some like, there was an accident. I lost my job. Things were going hard. I didn't know all these things. And God then comes and shows him himself and shows himself faithful. And we grow closer to God. But all these things as well, they, don't they sound familiar? Acknowledgement of guilt. Seeking God. Going after him. Think of that. Think of the gospel. We are sinners. 
We need the shed blood of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, as he is our savior, and we, we look to him, and we have the judgment of God upon us until we acknowledge our guilt, we turn away from our sins and acknowledge that Jesus is our only hope. We see the grace of God even amidst this great trouble that is in the land because God is faithful. We are forgetful. God is saying he'll return to his place and then Hosea comes out and says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has this, say we have forgotten God and if we return to God, there is hope. And we see that God's judgments are not to totally get rid of Israel, they are restorative. It says that, he, it says, come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us. Why? That he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Why? That we may walk and live before him. God has made a covenant with Israel and there is hope for the future generations so they can look back and not, hopefully make, not make the same mistakes. And God brings judgment upon Israel not to completely destroy them but to reorient them to the truth of what really matters and that is knowing and loving God. That is what they have forgotten. They have forgotten what God has done for them they have forgotten how much they should love God and how good he is and how worthy it is. And they have turned to idolatry and been unfaithful. This verse in, in Hebrews 12 re reminds us of this as well where it says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, God is the perfect father. Parents, when we... When we discipline our children, it is for their good. You know, when the two-year-old is running towards the road, we don't just say, well, that's what he wants to do. Give him his freedom, you know. We're good parents, you know. We're progressive. We're just going to let our child run towards the road. No. We want to save them for their own good. That is what God is doing, and he does it perfectly. As parents, we know we don't discipline perfectly. Kids, don't use that against your parents because one day you'll discipline them perfectly as well. But God does it perfectly. So God is going to bring these judgments upon them, but there's going to be restoration. And we know we know the rest of the scriptures, right? We, we have, they didn't know this, but what we can look and see, Israel is eventually brought into the land. And then Jesus comes and so much we could, we could talk about there. But also, it continues on. He says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. For his going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as showers as the spring rains that water the earth. One thing we need to know this too is we never, never know enough about God. So I read earlier, Israel had lost the knowledge of God. There is no fear of God in Israel. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and it's gone from the land. This let us press on. Let us be diligent daily to know God. And we can know many things, right? How many of you have ever gone down the rabbit hole of like YouTube or something to try to, try to look, find out everything you can about something? And after two hours, you're like, what did I just do? That was worthless. 
But you know what? We could never, ever know enough about God. I believe that in eternity, we'll still be learning about God. On that day when we're with him, new heavens, new earth, we're not going to go, oh, got you all figured out now. No, we're still creation and he's still creator. So let us press on to know. No matter what, there's great value. But church of God, I would contend that we are actually more accountable to know about God than Israel was. And we have so many more resources, so much more revelation. Think of how much we know. They didn't know who the Savior and Messiah, who they was going to be. They didn't have the New Testament. They had no idea. Oh, well, if they wanted the presence of God, they had to go to the temple. Who's the temple of the Holy Spirit now? We are. The Holy Spirit dwells within us now if we are in Christ. We have, they didn't, not everyone had a Bible in their home. We have multiple Bibles. We have access to so many books and so much. But so many times, we can get caught up and forget God in our day-to-day lives. George Barna did some research, and he says only 17% of Christians who consider, listen to this, they consider their faith important and attend church regularly. So these are people who are at church regularly, and they would consider their faith as a very important part of their life. Only 17% have a biblical worldview. So that means if Peace Church, and I pray this isn't us, followed the trends of our society. If there were 1,200 people here on a Sunday, only 200 would have a biblical worldview, and 1,000 wouldn't. We need to know God on a daily basis. May, that, may not that be true of us at Peace Church. God is faithful to his covenant. We see here it says, as sure as he'll come to us, as sure as the dawn, God is faithful and perfect. We are forgetful and sinful. So we can, when we cannot understand what God is doing and why he's doing things the way he is, be thankful because if he was exactly like us, we'd be in big trouble. But he's much bigger than us and he's perfect. He's as sure as the dawn. You know, yesterday was a beautiful day, wasn't it? You know that yesterday gives us that hope. Spring is coming. Sunshine is on its way. Snow is going. I chipped a bunch of ice off our back patio. It was still like that thick yesterday. Today it's windy. Tomorrow it's going to snow. But oh well, spring's coming, right? <laughs> and we know it's coming. Why? Big, big time because God is faithful and he is controlling all things in all seasons. We're just saying that summer and winter and springtime and harvest, talking about the faithfulness of God. We know it's going to happen. We know that the sun is going to come up every day. You know, we learn specifically about God. He reveals himself beautifully in his word, but he also shows us of his faithfulness in creation. He will come to us as his going out, as sure as the dawn, he will come to us. He will come to us as, as life-giving rain and as the spring showers, as they water the earth. And we know pretty soon that when, that when that snow melts, my dogs are a muddy mess every night. You know, I can't wait for the spring rains coming. What 
green grass, the mud and the, and the brown goes away, and, and the buds come out on the trees, and in the apple orchards, the flowers will come out, and, and all of those good things. Why? Because God is faithful, and he shows his faithfulness in how cyclical in creation it all happens, and we can know that it's going to happen. But you know what? He's like that too, his faithfulness to us, his people, and his promises And Israel needs to hear this. And we need to hear how faithful God is to us. And he's had a long history of faithfulness, right? How does Israel come about? Well, there's a man named Abram who's 75 and his wife can't have kids. Well, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Why choose a 75-year-old and a woman who's never had a child? Seems like there would be better choices. Why? Because God's going to show everyone that he's the one who did it. Not Abram and Sarah. It was God who did it. We see further on that, that Joseph, his, his brothers sell him into slavery. And he goes down to Egypt. And what happens? He, God gives him a vision. He becomes second in command and makes this great plan so there's going to be famine in the land, and, but Egypt will have food. And who, lo and behold, who comes down? His family. Jacob and his brothers who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they go in as 70 people. God told them that there would be 400 years of slavery. And you know what? It happened. And you know what? But God sends Moses down there and the plagues come upon. And these slaves, it says they they basically pillage Egypt and they leave around two million people, a great nation. And they go out and they take a land. And they are in houses that they didn't build and wells that they did not dig. And all of these things happen and they become a great nation with God's presence. They have the temple and there's no other nation has this. And they turn to idols. God is faithful. It's like the picture of Gomer, the prostitute, who even though she could have a loving husband, turns to go back to prostitution. And Israel has proven themselves this way. And God is exasperated with Israel. He says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud and and like the dew that goes early away. Hosea lived this. He's a good and faithful husband who has a wife who rejects him. Or if you think of a teenager who's rebellious and, and they reject everything that you've taught them and they hate you, at times you go, what am I going to do with you? The thing about it is, is God knows exactly what to do. But this is God pointing to the fact of how unfaithful Israel has been compared to his faithfulness. And they continue to be the adulterous wife. And their faith fades quickly. They're like a morning cloud that's gone. Like the dew that that fades away and is gone. And aren't we like this sometimes where we we make a commitment at a, at a camp or, or at a retreat or something like that. And then we're in church, we're saying, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And then we get in the car and something happens and boop, we revert back to the way we said we weren't going to do with things anymore. May we learn from this. God is also very patient with his people. He sent the prophets. It says, therefore, I have sent the prophets I've hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. So God comes and he, he takes the, the prophets and he have the thus saith the Lord. And, and God is trying to help Israel to, to remind them, here's what I've done for you. 
Turn away from your sins. Come, come back to God. The, the prophets would tell them about the impending doom from other nations. Repent and turn to God. It, it says the words hewn and struck down with the, with the words. These are, are hard words that God has for them. Imagine standing in front of people and saying this. This is what God says he's going to do to you. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. How would you like to have to say that to a group of people? Or in 10 verses um, 13 and 14, it says, You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses will be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. This it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Those are hard, hard words. It also says that the judgment of God goes out. He says, my judgment goes forth as a light. His judgment goes, God's judgment goes out in the darkness, brings light. God's truth is light. We, Jesus is called the light of the world, the, the light that comes down and, and shines into the darkness. But what? Men hated the light and would rather and retreat into the darkness. And the God's truth has been ignored for over 200 years of idolatry, bad kings and killing of prophets and has been happening in Israel. Bad times. But we see this. Verse 6. It's an amazing verse. It says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God desires our love and knowledge of Him. God desires His people, Israel, us today to know him, to love him, which is an amazing thing because God doesn't need us. We need him. God, that makes it more loving because God needs nothing, but he desires our true worship so he can give us more of what we need and that is more of himself. We see that this God has this desire for, for us to love him and, and a relationship with him. The beauty of God's grace in the midst of great unfaithfulness. But Israel, they were a religious people, weren't they? They were doing sacrifices. They were doing burnt offerings. So By the letter of the law, in some ways, it may have seemed like they were doing the right things. But their hearts were far away from God. It says that, Isaiah 29, 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because his people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. We can also go through the motions, can't we? We can show up every Sunday morning. We can even read our Bibles. We can come to the Lord's table here later and be thinking more about dinner than we are about the goodness of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We need to check ourselves on that. We all do. God is looking for people to have their hearts changed. He wants people that love him, 
that really want to know him. You think of the greatest command when Jesus asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So God desires from us. And this word to know God is not just knowing facts about God. Anyone can know facts about God. It's an intimate knowledge. It's actually knowing that person. Imagine in a, in a husband-wife relationship, if you're just like, to your wife, you're like, well, I know that you like these things, but I really don't love you, and I have this knowledge about you, and that's all I really want to know. Don't ever do that. That would not be good. But you know what? That's what Israel is doing to God. I want to do just enough to try to stay in favor with you. I don't really want to know you, I don't really want to love you because that means I can't do what I want to do. And can't we have the same attitude in ourselves? I know I can. I have to guard against that. So, Peace Church, let us love God and pursue the knowledge of God. We can see the church in America have some pretty close similarities to Israel. We can see a lot of things going on here, but I just... I just want to re remind you of this. When we point the finger at someone else, we have three pointing right back at us. And it's much easier to see the problems in other people. You know why? Because we live in a world full of sinners who are imperfect. And it's a lot easier, and it makes us feel better to point out the problems in everybody else. I know it does for me, at least, than to actually do the hard things and look at myself and say, Wow, there's some things that really need to be changed and I need to work on that. God, give me the grace to do it. We need to have the attitude of the tax collector in Luke 18.13 where he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because you know what? Our greatest desire should be the presence of God. We live in a nation right now we have so much stuff. We, live, we eat like kings. We live in houses that, you know, unless your power's out, we have heat in our house that turns on automatically. Think of what the world used to live like. We live beautifully. We can go out and buy, so many of us have two, three cars, vacation homes, all of these things. But look at all the discontentment and depression in our nation today, even though we have what many people think will bring them happiness. But you know what? Our greatest desire should be the presence of God. And when we go all, after all those other things, our desires are actually weak. C.S. Lewis says, it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The picture there. Why don't you come to the come to Lake Michigan with us? You know, we're gonna go, we're gonna go to we're gonna get ice cream, we're gonna all do these things. No, I'm fine right here making a mud pie. I could see a child doing that. But we need to be turning to Christ. That is where the goodness is. 
That is where your desires and your joy and your contentment is found. Not in people, not in things. Question to ask yourself, are you standing in truth or lies? All of us, to some extent, have areas in our lives where we're standing proudly by a tree of ignorance or willful sin. May God give us the grace to realize this and exchange the lie for the truth. Be thankful to God, seeking him first. These verses came to my mind in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a therefore there, pointing back to the first 11 chapters of Romans, the mercies of God. You think of all of those things, you know, verses like Romans 6, 23, you know, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You think of those things in that by the mercies of God, that what he has done for us, how he has shown himself faithful, all of those things, him dying on the cross for our sins, he did not have to do that. Taking our punishment upon himself, his enemies. Think of that faithfulness, think of that goodness, and our response to that is we live for him daily. The world is trying to conform us and push us into its mold, conform to this world, but we need to be daily, be transformed by what? The renewal of our minds. People, lifelong process. Just letting you know, it's a lifelong process. My dad, who played that joke on me, was actually a seminary professor. And I remember him as a 70-year-old man saying, I still get fed at church and I'm still learning more about God and reading my Bible. And he did it his whole life. Lifelong process. That by testing you may discern what the will of God is. You want to know the will of God for your life? Be constantly being transformed by the renewal of your mind. So peace church. Our joy and satisfaction is found in loving and knowing God. And may we go out this week with a hunger for God and his love for us. When trials come, remember his faithfulness and give him praise. For no one is worthy of our love and devotion but God. And when we come to this table in just a moment here, praise God, praise Jesus for what he did, dying on the cross for our sins, his body broken, blood shed, rose again the third day. And one day, we get to be with him for eternity. Won't that be great? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and, and we know that you are the good, faithful, and awesome God and we need you. Lord, I ask if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you as their savior, that you would impress upon them your goodness and their need for a savior. Lord, I would just pray for those in us too. We, we all need to grow. Show us, Lord, our hearts that we may turn to you in truth and become more like you, loving and knowing you more. 
that we would see many in our community and in the world come to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.